That was daughter and a very proud papa. Wasn't that great? She's also on my basketball team. Just want to be clear about that. Well, it's great to be back with you. Uh, last, well, two years ago, my father-in-law, who lives in Missoula, Montana, called me and said, hey, we got back-to-back games. He's a season ticket holder for the Montana Grizz. And so he came out last year, and we sent their butts back to Montana. And then I went out there. Well, Missoula was nice. <laughs> but it's great to be back with you. I did listen to uh, Scott's sermon from last Sunday. Man, that was fantastic. I was so deeply encouraged. I always love to listen. Yeah, I always love to listen to sermons uh, after I'm gone and make sure he's steered away from any heresy. He did a great job. In 1863, at the height of the American Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln issued his famous Emancipation Proclamation freeing black Americans from the tyranny of slavery in the United States. But then exactly 100 years later in 1963 at the, of course, Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I have a dream speech to those gathered at what could be considered the height of the civil rights movement. You see, there were over a quarter million people at the mall that day, at that time the largest protest gathering in the history of that city. But why, you ask? I mean, slaves had been free for a hundred years. Why a civil rights movement? Why the I have a dream speech? Well, you'd have to be almost ignorant of American history to not know that while black slaves had been freed, they were a long way from full equality, from the fullness of life that this country has to offer its citizens. Jim Crow laws were still observed, which separated blacks from whites and effectively kept blacks as second-class citizens. So, Dr. King had a dream. And in part, his speech said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Rather powerful words. And as followers of Jesus Christ, I suspect that none of us would object to that. But the the truth is, It was in the name of Christianity that many prejudices existed both then and now. And for that, may I say to my African-American brothers and sisters, I am truly sorry. I too want for you biblical equality and the fullness of life that this country has to offer. I am sorry for the prejudice perpetrated in the name of Christ. Now, there is a sense in which the Apostle Paul had the same kind of dream. You see, the the gospel also emancipates us. It frees us enslaved to the tyranny of sin. But, But then having been freed, 
Is that it? Is that all there is? Truth is, that's the way many professing Christians live their lives. My sins are forgiven. Thank God I'm free. I'm free at last. Is that all? The the truth is, God has much more for us in terms of fullness, the fullness of spiritual life. And Paul gives what I want to call his I have a dream speech in Colossians chapter 1. His dream for those of us, all of us, regardless of color, ethnicity, nationality, his I have a dream for us as we've been freed from, the slavery, from slavery to sin. He wants us to grow in fullness, to full maturity in Christ. Freedom is not quite enough. This passage may be, uh, many consider to be the theme of this letter. It's found in our text this morning in Colossians 1, 25 to 28. But let me begin by reading the end of verse 23 to make sure that we pick up the context. Of this gospel, he says, I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to, and I'm going to add the word, all his saints, regardless of color. You see, because he says, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man, regardless of ethnicity, that's the point, complete in Christ. I have a dream. My dream, my desire, my goal is to present every person here. I don't care your background, I don't care your color, I don't care your gender. I want to present you complete in Christ. You look at the cover of your bulletins, that is a theme of this letter, complete in Christ, because freedom is just the beginning. If it was everything that there is, then the Colossians were already Christians having believed the gospel when Epaphras preached the, when he preached it. So why does Paul write this letter? Because he wants us all to grow to full maturity, to completeness in Christ. I want you to know that is my goal for us at ABF. My passion is to see people freed from the tyranny of sin, yes, but then to see them grow to full maturity, completeness in Christ. You will remember two weeks ago that we looked at verse 24. Paul had just taken a long time, a lot of verses to remind us of the highly exalted Jesus and his supremacy over all of creation, his supremacy over the church. And and, and now he's in the process of reconciling all things to God. He's doing that through the gospel, freeing us who were in slavery to sin and reconciling us to God. And then he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. 
But I need you to know something. This work of ministry cost me. I'm currently in prison, suffering for the cause of Christ. But, verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake because in my suffering, in my flesh, I am filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We found that had nothing to do with Christ's atoning work on the cross. There was nothing deficient about the cross. Rather, he means this. It is to be expected of God's people as we proclaim the hope of the gospel. It is expected that we will suffer. Shouldn't take us by surprise when people don't like our message and as a result don't like us. And that's the part we don't like. We don't like it when people don't like us. So there's this temptation, especially in our culture, to soften the message so people don't get, like, mad. Now, it is true that the messenger himself or herself should not be offensive. Listen, Christians should not be irritating people. Some of you specialize in that. Stop. We should be people who are filled with the Spirit, loving, joy-filled, patient, kind, good, gentle, peaceful, gracious, yes, but the message of the gospel itself is offensive. It's even called the rock of offense. People are going to fall on it. And when we tell people of their need of the gospel, when we tell them, hey, you are enslaved to sin and you have offended a holy God, they're not going to like that. Don't remove the offense. We must faithfully, lovingly share that message, and when we do, it will cost us. But it has been granted to us to suffer for his sake. And like Paul, I am filling up that which is lacking in regard to Christ's suffering. I'm a participant in his suffering. Now, in verses 25 to 28, Paul goes on to talk more about this gospel and this church for which he is suffering. The outline from a couple of weeks ago actually updated just a little bit. Um, we see Paul's suffering for Christ, verse 24. Let's see, verse 24 to 29 is one sentence in the Greek, okay? Paul, somebody needs to talk to Paul about run-on sentences. One sentence in the Greek, verse 25, Paul, a servant uh, of Christ and his church, by the way, and Paul's proclamation of Christ. So point one, Paul suffered for Christ. We already saw that. Point two, he suffered because... He was a minister or a servant of Christ's body called the church, verse 25. Of this church, I was made a minister. And that word is the word diakonos, from which we get our word deacon. I was made a servant of the church according to the stewardship from God. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting phrase, that last part. The word stewardship is the word oikoinomia, from which we get our word economy, which speaks of the economy or the management of something. Paul says, I was made, stop right there a minute, I, I wasn't a volunteer, I was on my way to Damascus to persecute Christians, and Jesus knocked me down, so that's enough, Paul, you will no longer be persecuting, you'll be the persecuted, take your share of suffering, Paul. And then he, then he told me that I would carry his name, that I would preach the gospel to Gentiles. <laughs> Paul was a Jew. Preaching freedom from sin to Gentiles would be like, you know, a white man preaching freedom to black slaves a couple of hundred years ago. This was serious. 
Now, this idea of stewardship is that Paul, and frankly, we, and I'm going to prove that in just a minute, because you're going to think you're off the hook because you're not a minister. Surprise. Paul has been entrusted, we have been entrusted by the owner of the church to steward or manage the church and its message well. And you also need to know that with stewardship comes an accounting, a day of reckoning. You can go to Matthew chapter 25 to read about that. We will give an account for how we have handled the affairs of this economy called the church. We will give an account as to how we've handled the body. And again, immediately some of you are going, man, I'm glad I'm not a minister. I knew my youth pastor was wrong. No problem for me. I just show up on Sundays for the show. And on the contrary, I want to say to you that every person who knows Jesus Christ is a servant of the church. Because every person has been given a spiritual gift a spiritual gift is this divine enablement, this, this, this ability or abilities given to you by the Spirit to serve within the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 talks all about that. And verse 7 tells us that gifts are given to every believer for the common good. And that's where we get a little bit messed up in spiritual gifts today. Everybody thinks it's for me. It's not for me. It's for you. All right? Everybody wants the certain gift, you know, so that everyone knows how spiritual I am. It's not for you. It's for each other. It's for the common good. Peter says further, as each one, that means all of you, has received a special gift, employ it, that means use it, in serving one another as good stewards, that sounds a little bit familiar, of the manifold grace of God, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Every one of us, not just me, not just the other pastors, not just the staff, not just the paid people, not just the elders, not just the Sunday school teachers, not just the life group leaders, not just the children's workers, not just the youth workers, not just the college workers, every person is responsible to exercise their gift in a way that serves this body. And it is a stewardship for which you will give an account. So, Paul was made a minister, a servant of the church with the steward's responsibility. For your benefit, we remember again, spiritual gifts are given for the common good. That is, we serve one another for the benefit of building up the church. This is so important. I want you to get this. And I'm going to take us over to Ephesians chapter 4 just for a second that Paul wrote about the same time as this. You're going to see some of the same words as, as he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers for the equipping. So here's my job. Here's my job as a pastor for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So I'm supposed to equip you to work. To the, so that we can all build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, that sounds like a complete man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, run on sentence, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by, every, by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual. But you think he's starting to get a point across? Each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That sounds like a good it is written. Again, we see this idea of freedom from sin not being the ultimate goal, 
The ultimate goal is that we would grow to serve one another so the church is built up. We grow toward unity, toward the knowledge of the Son of God and the fullness of Christ. We're to be building each other up in love as each part does its work. So, I want to say this as lovingly as I can. It's football season, so let's talk. What would be... What would be the difference between you being here this morning and you being at the Panthers Stadium this afternoon? Are they playing today? Yeah, okay. What would be the difference between you being here and being there, rooting on the team as they sweat and do the work? I sit in the stands, gave my money at the door, Now I get to sit back and watch them sweat and watch them work and cheer everybody on. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We are supposed to be involved serving one another. Here's a simple question for you right here. How are you doing that? Paul goes on to say in Colossians, here's how I do it. I preach fully the Word of God, or I preach the full Word of God. I love that. I preach the full Word of God, not just things that I like. I literally says, I have this stewardship given to me for your benefit so that I may carry out or make full the full Word of God. So that, verse 28, I can present you as complete in Christ. Please don't miss this. You know I'm going to camp on it because what I do. In order to be made complete, listen to me, in order for you to be made complete in Christ, it must come through the Word of God. The Word of God is not optional to our fullness in Christ. If you want to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you have got to be in the Bible. I've said this before, say it again. Never had a person in my office saying, I am really, really struggling in my walk. I am really, really struggling with this sin. And I'll say, I frequently will ask the question, how's your Bible reading going? And say, well, I'm reading it every day. No, that's not what they say. They typically will respond, well, you know, I stopped reading about six months ago. Well, ding, ding, ding. I want you to know that this church is built firmly on the scripture. Again, it doesn't matter. Children's ministry, youth ministry, college, life groups, men's, women, doesn't matter. You name it, we are all about growing in our knowledge of the word of God, not just so that we can know it, so that we can be really, really smart, but so that we can apply it, allow it to change our lives and build each other up in love. I've said this before, but let me say it again. I'm gonna keep on saying it. It is why we have an expositional preaching ministry here, meaning we go verse by verse through the Scripture to make sure that we fully carry out the proclamation of God's Word. Listen, if he went to the trouble of inspiring this, don't you think he wants us to know it? Not just the verses that are easy and not just the passages that I like, Sometimes I come to a passage of Scripture and I say, what in the world am I going to say about that this week? 
And then I get into it and I find I've got to break this up in three or four weeks. Said one commentator, it is only through the word of God that Christ can be fully known. Did you write that down? It is only through the word of God that Christ can be fully known. There is no shortcut here for busy, read lazy pastors or impatient, read undisciplined believers. Such Bible teaching and Bible study is the crying need of the church today. We believe at this church that the Bible is fully sufficient to help us grow toward maturity. We believe Paul's words to Timothy, all Scripture, every word of it is inspired by God. Every word of it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, so that the man or the woman of God may be adequate. Read, that's the word complete, equipped for every good work. We believe that. We believe the Bible, all of it, is necessary to be brought to full maturity. So let me just let me just meddle here just a little bit. I know that devotionals are very popular, okay? And there are some really good devotionals out there. And I know that you're reading them because I see you carrying them. I get emails from you about devotionals. And that is fine. I, that, that's fine, okay? But never allow devotionals to take the place of the Word of God. Read the Bible. I'm reading through look at the time. I'm reading through Deuteronomy right now, my personal devotions. Doesn't that sound exciting? Anybody want to join me? I'm reading through Deuteronomy, and here's the reason I'm reading through Deuteronomy. I'm reading through Deuteronomy because I want to get to know God. Read through Deuteronomy with this idea of what does it teach me about God, about who God is, about how there's only Him, nobody else. You read that, it jumps off the page in Deuteronomy. It'll blow you away. You'll actually like the book, I promise. Okay, verses 26 and 27, Paul tells us specifically what he focused on in the full carrying out of the preaching of the Word of God. He calls it the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to the saints. Okay, it's a big mouthful. The word mystery in the New Testament speaks of that which was hidden in times past, especially in the Old Testament, but now it has been made known. It would, have, it would have not been known if God didn't make it known, but he's made it known. It's no longer a mystery. It's no longer a secret. Uh, and it's available to everybody. All you do is read the Bible. And, and in Ephesians chapter 3 that he wrote about the same time as Colossians, he tells us a little more about this mystery. And I think you'll see now in Ephesians chapter 3, why I started with my introduction. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that sounds a little bit like he's talking about the same thing, that by revelation that was made known to me, the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Okay, Paul, get to it. Run on sentence. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Okay, what is it? What is it? To be specific, here it is. That the Gentiles 
are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. The message of the gospel is freedom from the tyranny of sin and the mystery of the gospel is that this freedom is for everyone who believes, both Jew and Gentile and white and black and male and female. It does not matter. That gets me excited. There's no difference. You see, we take this for granted. But you have to understand how enormous this mystery was. It was, it's like the Emancipation Proclamation for us. The Jews saw themselves and themselves alone as, 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 as the recipients of God's favor. Here Paul actually says the mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, one church, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is that God's grace is available to the likes of you and me. That middle wall of partition has been taken down between Jew and Gentile, such that there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, black or white, male or female. Paul says it this way in our text, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. You have to understand, when he was writing, his, I'm sure his hand was trembling. It is incredible that we were included in the promise. That though we are descended from a race of people who did not know God, we did not honor God, it is amazing that God included us in the promise of salvation through the gospel. That we could be saved by grace through faith. That we, white people, we think we're entitled to it. We think it's our birthright. Do you understand you're white? And do you understand that the gospel is for you? That's supposed to amaze you. Jews aren't white. We are, most of us in this room. That's the mystery of the gospel. How in the world did we mess that up? Writing to this primarily Gentile church, here's the central truth of the mystery. Here it is. Christ is in you. Did you get that? The hope of glory. Christ is in you. It's amazing that the Jewish Christ, the Jewish Messiah, would be in Gentile believers. Again, you preach that message to poor, disenfranchised, oppressed, persecuted, beleaguered churches around the world who have been marginalized, and they just rejoice. Let's not us take it for granted as if it, we're, it's like we're entitled to it. It's our birthright. No. This is the mystery. It ought to drive us to our knees. How did I get included? Paul uses some rather unusual wording here. He, he usually speaks of the believer being in Christ, but here he speaks of Christ being in the believer. Said so that way in Galatians chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. How does Christ live in me? This speaks of the promise of the Holy Spirit to indwell the believer. That's different from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he would come on believers. The promise of the new covenant, get this, the promise of the new covenant is that the Holy Spirit actually, I will give them my spirit and they will he will live in them. 
The God of the universe actually lives in us to empower us, direct us, teach us, guide us, fill us, which means um, enough with the excuses. I can't do it. Yes, you can. You have the very Holy Spirit of God living in. Yes, you can. 1 Corinthians 3 says the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 6 and says that you individually, whoever you are, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Unbelievable. And this is the hope of glory. Hope speaks of something yet to come. Paul is referring to the hope of the second coming of Christ when we will be glorified with him. Say we we don't have all the fullness of salvation yet. I know some people want you to believe that, but you don't. Um, uh, uh, the gospel includes the very good news of a very great future. You see, we are looking for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the hope that we have our eyes fixed upon. Beloved, we now are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as Yet what we will be, what we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That's our hope. So until then, verse 28, we proclaim him. We proclaim him. That's it. That's all I got. Paul showed up in Corinth. He told them, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We do not hear, and this is, he, was, he said that in a church that was divided around its leaders, who wanted its leaders to be all that in a bag of chips. He said, no, we, we do not proclaim ourselves. We don't even proclaim the church. We proclaim him to the church. That's all I got. It is the glorious person of the Lord Jesus Christ who is central to our being. We don't proclaim a set of rules. We don't set, proclaim a set of traditions. We don't proclaim a set of denominational dogma. We don't promote a system. We don't promote a building as pretty as it is, even though we need it. We proclaim him. I believe, I believe that that is one of the reasons that God has been pleased for, to, to bless this as church. Because this church is not built on a person outside of the person of Jesus Christ. How do we do it? Paul says we admonish every man, every person. The idea of admonishing carries with it the idea of, of warning, of um, correcting, rebuking when necessary, and instructing in the way of righteousness. It is being willing to confront brothers and sisters with righteousness the truth found in, in Scripture. See, real Christians do that. Paul said in using the same word in Romans chapter 15, I am confident that you are competent to admonish one another. I'm confident that you are too. We, we correct each other. We hold each other accountable to righteousness. We don't look at a brother or sister in sin and say, oh, well. Well, that's the way that... No, we hold people to righteousness. Beyond that, we teach with all wisdom. Using the Word of God, we pour into one another's lives. Here's the simple question. Who are you teaching? Who are you, who are you admonishing? To whom are you proclaiming Him? So that's what you're doing, Scott. That's your job. That's why we pay you. Well, okay. Um, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to get to that after... Chapter 2, Paul makes it clear that the 
church, this is a church-wide responsibility. He says this, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, <laughs> teaching and admonishing one another. Yeah, it's not just my job, it's your job. It's our job to pour the life of Christ and the truth of Scripture into one another. That's how we proclaim him. That's how we bring him glory. So that every person may be presented as complete, that is mature in Christ. I don't want you just freed from your sins. I want you to grow in Christ's likeness. I want you to be like him. So what does this complete in Christ person look like as we close? I'm out of time. What does this complete in Christ person look like? From this text, remember verses 24 to 29, our one sentence, back to verse 24, we must realize that a mature Christian is one who is willing to share the gospel and pay the price. Recognizing that as we're paying the price, we're filling up in our body that which is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. It's okay. It's okay. Next, the complete in Christ person is one uh, who understands that he or she has been given a stewardship. You have, just like Paul was made a minister of the church, so were you. You've been gifted to be a servant in this body. In other words, you're not supposed to just be a Sunday morning spectator but you are looking for ways to exercise your gifts for the building up of the body. Next, it is one who is firmly committed to the Word of God, individually and corporately. Firmly committed to the Word of God. And I want to say, I want to say that there's no secret formula and there's no shortcut here. You can go buy books that, that, that you know, are titled The Secret to Spiritual Success and all that. You, you can if you want to. They're lying. It's what we want, isn't it? Give me a pill to lose weight. I want that supplement that's going to give me the six-pack abs. You know, I've wanted six-pack abs all my life, but I've never been willing to do the work to get them. But I don't have, I don't have a pill. I don't have a supplement. I don't have a gimmick for spiritual maturity. Completeness in Christ comes through our knowledge of and application of the Word of God, which takes work. You are going to have to spend time in the Word of God, in the Bible, to grow in your salvation. And then as we know it, we teach and admonish one, one another. The strength of any church, the strength of this church, is our commitment to and understanding of the Word of God. Last thing I'll say, we must always remember it is about Him. We proclaim Him, not ourselves. We don't even proclaim this church. We proclaim Him. It's all I got. Let's stand for prayer. Father, Colossians chapter 1 has made it very clear that everything is about Jesus. As he is revealed in the gospels through his life, as he is revealed in the word of God, all of the scripture he said speaks to him. He told those guys, uh, Luke 24, th that everything points to him. And so would you help us to be a church that is firmly founded on the foundation of scripture um, as we exalt Christ as we proclaim him, 
making much of him and not us. For his great glory we pray. Amen.